Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. We're going to scriptures, Mark chapter 10, verse 42. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many." Hone in on this section here, verse 43. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. The Son of Man came to serve. Think about that. The Son of Man, the Son of God came to serve. How dare I think that I shouldn't likewise be like him and serve others. The title of what we're talking today, A Servant's Heart. And I think it's one of the most significant alignments we can have in the faith is to talk of what it means to be a servant. Now, servant, it's got a bad bad press in our culture in the last number of days. It's like a doormat. You know, you just want me to be a doormat. You just want me to, to serve you so you can do whatever you want. And there's a lot of, of the vice versa in our society to be served. We know that. Let's talk about what God is saying. You were created on earth to make a contribution. When I say you, that means all of us, young, old, and everybody in between. You were created not to consume resources just like eating, you know, consumption, and breathing, thank God for the oxygen, the air we breathe, the space we have to move around. But God has designed us to not just be consumers, but contributors. And I know that expression has been on my heart a a lot in the last probably a number of years. Don't be a consumer, be a contributor. Don't be a consumer, be a contributor contribute, just don't take. There's a lot of taking, and me, mine, my rights, a lot of taking. But be a contributor. Give. What does it look like to contribute? God designed each of us to make a difference. There are a lot of materials on YouTube and books, uh, even songs uh, in the art world, that market to us to get the most out of life. You get what you can. But God's reason for making you and me is that we might add life to this earth. I'm here to bring something to this world. Think about an architect. Now, I don't know if you know of any architect. I don't know if we have any architects here, either in person or online. Uh, or maybe you are related, you know an architect. Maybe you've messed around with design, building plans, stuff like that. I want you to think about an architect. I've known architects for a number of years, in the family for that matter. And I want you to think about an architect for a minute. 
before, and here's a question for you. Before an architect begins to design a new building, what's the first question they must ask? Before they begin, is the first question, how much money is this going to cost? Is the first question, how many people am I going to be able to have to pull from the trades to do the job? Is the very first question, how big can I make this? I submit to you today, those are not the first question. The very first question an architect must ask is, what will be its purpose? Because he doesn't know where to go if he doesn't know the purpose of it. The first question, what is its purpose? And then underlying, how will it be used? Now he can start talking costs. Now he can start talking contractors. Now he can, okay, but you've got to ask the question, what's the purpose of this I'm building? And out of that, how will it be used before you can go anywhere else? Now, God is the great architect, is he not? And when God made you, he didn't make you from a blob. You did not evolve from a little blob somewhere. He didn't make you randomly. He didn't put you in a cookie-cutter machine. He didn't put you on an assembly line. Did you note that? He, we, we talked of this last week, you've been wonderfully made. You are in his image. That was our topic last week. You were made so uniquely, he's the architect. He made you with a purpose. When he formed you and I, there was a purpose and how that should be lived out. All of us. Makes sense, doesn't it? Because it makes sense with an architect today. The intended function determines the form of what's being made. Before you were created, before, you, before your, <laughs> your dad had the twinkle in his eye, before that ever happened, God decided what role he wanted you to play on earth. I'm going to let that sink in. That's what he says, Psalm 139. Before you were the twinkle in your parents' eyes, he had thought of you and your purpose. Not just to live, not just to take up space. He thought of you and your purpose. He planned exactly how he wanted you to serve him before you initiated conception. Then, in your life, starting in the womb, should be the safest place in the world. Starting there, he began to shape you for that purpose. Isn't that great? I just get goosebumps when I think about it. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in us in advance to do. Handiwork. Handiwork. The English word poem comes from the Greek word handiwork. You are God's poem. You are God's handcraft, his work of art. You know that when an artist works, never two pieces are identical. And so when he handcrafted you, no one is like you. <laughs> now, somebody turns to the person next to them and will thank God for that. Well, yeah, we can thank God for that. No one is like you. No two are identical. He created, he handcrafted you. You are a work of art, uniquely by him. Custom design, one of a kind, original masterpiece. David got so excited about this fact. In Psalms 139, 13, David said, 
For you, God, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you. David just had a burst of emotion and praise. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Remember, David's the one who didn't get picked off the line. He was the last one chosen. He was the ruddy-looking one of the bunch. And David says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. Listen, when you go home, look in the mirror, say, man, you look good. Because he made you. And he made you uniquely, you. And David says, your works are wonderful. I know full well. In other words, you're not going to convince me otherwise. Oh, may that be in our heart. I want to talk about here how God shapes you for ministry. Because God has shaped all of us for ministry. I've actually had, I've made a bit of a change in my own ministry in the last couple of years. Just in the last, probably even the last year and a half, just prior to pandemic. I used to, I'm a strong advocate for, for small groups, for home groups. I really believe in them. I really believe everybody, I believe everybody needs to be in a group because we, that's where our giftings, that's where our expression, that's where we, we can best do life together. And so out of the series that we're doing, doing life together, I'm praying and hoping that we, it initiates that you have meaningful groups. It doesn't have to be a group out of the church. It can be a group at work. I've, people do groups at work. Uh, it can be groups amongst professionals. It can be groups uh, you know, who, after gaming, you get together as a small group and, and you make it meaningful for the kingdom. But small groups, I, I, I absolutely, it's a biblical principle. To not do it is a, is a sin. So, uh, and I've called the people that have led them because I was, I've done a lot of reading on this, a lot of research over the years. I've called them facilitators. Sounded like a really good name. And then I realized I actually did a disservice for what the purpose of small groups are. You see, a facilitator by nature is basically a manager, and there's nothing wrong with that. But what small groups need, they need a shepherd. See, the difference between a manager and a shepherd, a manager will do what's required in order to get the task done. A shepherd has a, has a heart to nurture. So it's not just counting heads. It's not simply going through the material. It's how are you doing and caring enough to really believe that there's a good answer behind that. A shepherd. As a matter of fact, the Bible uses a lot of words for the same word, shepherd, overseer, bishop, elder, pastor. They, they kind of throw these words around. I like the word shepherd, so I'm actually calling the head of small groups. Now, I don't call them facilitators anymore because a facilitator is a manager. So I believe it's one of the big reasons small groups don't last because they were never meant to be run by a manager. They were meant to be run by somebody who has a heart that nurtures those people. And a heart that nurtures those people doesn't simply clock in and clock out. They care for the people. And about, about 10 to 15% of a population will have that kind of a heart. And that's all you need to run a significant small group ministry. And so I've actually kind of done a, a step back on that, just going, God, you know, forgive me for downing what you wanted to raise up, for calling a facilitator and, and putting people in places. Maybe their hearts haven't been a nurturing heart and they were kind of doomed to fail. Whereas maybe those who have a nurturing heart, I didn't encourage them enough to be a part of a leadership group. So I believe we've all been called not simply to serve means to minister. We are all ministry. So Pastor Trish talked earlier, and I even made mention of thank you volunteers. I want to put, I want to change that word, thank you ministers. Because every person, whether you open the door of the church, whether you take in registration, you're ministering to somebody. Thank you ministers. Thank you ministers. 
for ministering today. Thank you. And so out of that, I want to share here how God shapes you for ministry. How does he shape you to get to that place? Because all of us are being shaped. Remember, we all have a purpose and designed to do a function. Here we are. I've used the word shape. I've got an acrostic. You see it in front of you here. Spiritual gifts, heart, abilities, personality, experience. Note the first letter. I'm focusing on this probably in the next three weeks or so. Today, I'm not going to spend time talking on spiritual gifts because that takes a whole session in itself. And I think it would be better to serve to do the spiritual gifts after I talk about what I share today because I want to do the next two letters, which is the letter H and A, heart and abilities. Because if we don't understand the heart and how the abilities prepare us, then the spiritual gifts often are misunderstood. So we're going to do that order. Next week, spiritual gifts. But today, I want to look at heart. So let's start with heart. The Bible uses the term heart to describe the bundle of desires, hopes, interests, ambitions, dreams, your affections. What stirs you? What stirs you? Your heart represents the source of what motivates you. What do you love to do? What do you care for? Again, what stirs you? And we are stirred uniquely. What stirs one won't necessarily stir the next, not as much anyway. You heard the expression, the expression, I love you with all my heart, that expression. Now, when somebody says, I love you with all my heart, they don't mean that muscle inside your chest because that muscle can't love. When they say, I love you with all my heart, they are saying, I love you with all my affection. I love you with all my desires. We could use the word passion. I passionately love you. That would be appropriate, would it not? Proverbs 27, 19. As water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. If we were to bring that up to today, Proverbs was written... 3,000 years ago, so let's bring it up today. As a mirror reflects the face, so your life, how you live, reflects what your heart, what your heart is doing. Your heart reveals you, what you really are, not what others think you are, not simply what circumstances have forced you into. Your heart reveals the real you. Your heart determines why you say what you say, feel the way you feel, and act the way you act. Your heart out of the mouth, from the heart, the mouth speaks. How you feel. I use this expression all the time. When somebody's going through a difficult situation and they're trying to understand the facts, an expression is a a psychology expression. None of us live by the facts of life. We live by how we feel. Facts determine, but our feelings. So never just talk of facts. you got to talk about how did that make you feel. Because that's the issue based on what just took place. And because that's a hard issue. And then our actions, our actions. So a living out of actions. And, and I just, again, I just, this past week I was going through this. And there was a person that came to my mind who uh, had gone through great difficulty. And I just saw the person as problematic years ago. And just recently, I realized this person, I, I, we've got an expression, inner core pain. It's been an expression, we've, inner core, this person had an inner core pain that has not been healed. If you ask this person, this person who was very angry, and if you ask this person, this person hated their father. And if you wanted to have the deepest insult to this person, this man, you would say, you're just like your father. And that would be the gravest insult you could ever give them. It's really sad. 
but it would be the biggest insult. They had inner core pain, and I didn't know how to deal with it back then. I'm not sure I would still know how to deal with it really, except with God's help. But that's heart issue that has to be healed before life can be lived differently. And so anger issues in home and people and business and all that stuff is a symptom of something that has to be healed. So all you ever deal with the symptom, you never deal with the actual healing of the person. So another word for heart here can be passion. God shapes you with your heart regarding your heart, with regard to your passion. There are certain things you feel passionate about that others maybe don't really care less about. It reveals the nature of your heart. When you were growing up, were there things you were intensely interested in that other family members in your immediate home were not? There's a question I have for you. It's not just a hypothetical, but I don't need you to yell back at me what that is. But here's the question. Think about it. Growing up, were there things you were quite interested in, but others in your family weren't? They didn't get you. They weren't interested in that. So I began to look at that in my own. I have four that I, I'm prepared to share with you. I'm not prepared to share all of them. But I can share four with you today. Number one, one of them is when, when people were talking, and I noticed it growing up, when folk were talking, whether it be a teacher or a storyteller, when they were teaching or talking or, or sharing the story, could, again, in those capacities, uh, it, I really had a sense in my heart, share it with inspiration. I have an expression, for God's sake, inspire me. That's my expression. And I, I mean that. I don't use that as a, as a slander. When I, I, for God's sake, for the sake of God, be an inspiration. Don't just give information. Don't just go through the notes. Inspire me. So when teachers would do academically or whatever capacity they were, be inspiring. Tell stories. Help them to know what you're saying and how to live that. I, I was driven with that. Therefore, those that could not tell good stories and weave it into their teaching, I was bored to tears. Maybe you are too. Maybe you're bored right now. Okay. But that really stirred me. That was something that not everybody around me felt the same way towards. Another thing that really stirred me deeply was a passion was the experience of joy and fulfillment when it came to events. Um, I wanted joy and fulfillment. Now, not happiness. You didn't have to be, you know, it didn't have to be sensational. But whatever you do, there should be an element of joy in it. And there should be fulfillment in it. So if you're doing something just to do it, it really bothered me. I was, maybe, I was youngest, and I see how God shaped me, and, and I lived to play. Okay, some people play to live. I, right, I live to play. Uh, I enjoy adventures, part of my nature. I'm, I'm the youngest, and, and so, yeah, I'm an administrator, and I got those, but I like to have a good time. And I really think everybody should have a good time doing stuff. Not everybody felt that who was around me. And so that was a part of a passion. Let me tell you a third passion. Third passion was how people are made to feel about themselves. To me, it was very important um, how a person was made to feel about themselves was more important than if they met the expected academic standard. So you might meet, you might pass, you might graduate, but how do you feel about yourself? To me, how they feel about, the person was more important than the process. That was really important. And the fourth one to me was the underdog situation. I, I always was looking, in a crowd of people, I'm looking for the one who steps in, who's lost in the cracks. I'm very conscious of them because that was me. 
So I'm very conscious of the person who's not speaking up, the person who's, who's not seeming to contribute, the person who seems lost. Because I want to reach out to them. I want them to feel a part of something. They've got a story to tell too. And so the extroverts, the type A personalities, you know, they, they go into a room bouncing. And some of you are that. But those that are lost in the cracks, the quiet ones, sometimes are so quickly overlooked. And, and, and I don't want that. I don't want all the attention to be on them. And so I realize sometimes that is a manipulation in itself. I get that. But it's the underdog. And that drove me. So I was always looking for the under. I was always looking for the last person who got picked on the team to make sure they got a significant place on the team. Don't simply send them to the outfield. Give them a significant place so that they feel important because maybe they won't be the last person next time. And that became a part of me. That's passion. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about here heart. You have some unique things. Some of the things I shared, you're kind of going, that's not me. Some of you are going, that's exactly me. Because those are the passions that God, God gave you those for a reason. He gave me them for a reason. And you can probably fill in the rest of the blanks. I get a chance to make a difference in most of the ones I just made mention of. Because I want to do something about that. And so the opportunity is before me to do that. Uh, so, over and over the Bible says, serve the Lord with all your heart, therefore, heart, number one. Number two, abilities. A, abilities. This has to do not only with your, your strengths, your talents, abilities. I'm going, to use, I'm going to stay with the word ability here because it's the A word. Um, but it means applying your abilities. Application of So it's not just you're able, but are you doing something with what you're able? So your ableness is active. Your ableness is an action. Ableness. When God wanted to create the first place of worship in the Bible back, you see it in Exodus. You see when he was creating the first place, place of worship, it was called the tabernacle. He provided skilled people, people with abilities. Let's read it. Exodus 31. God says, I have filled him with the spirit of man. These are the people he chose to build this great tabernacle. I filled them with the spirit of God, with wisdom, understanding, knowledge. Now look at this with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, bronze, to cut, to set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. What's he saying? He's saying, I gave you abilities. Not everybody could do this. I'm one of them, by the way. Can't do that. Okay, I'm not strong with that. So there's those he's given abilities. He created you with abilities. God bestows abilities so you can serve him with them. Not complicated, is it? Let me just share a few points regarding this. Number one, all our abilities come from God. Now, you can learn and grow in your skills, but you have to have some skills to start with. All the abilities... Come from God. Uh, every ability come from God. Now, here's the thing: they can be used for God, or they can be used for sinful things, and they are. But they're a gift of God. It's up to the individual what they're doing with those abilities. We can call them natural abilities, just as important as our spiritual gifts. Now, there is a difference between spiritual gifts and natural abilities. We're talking abilities right here. 
Next week, we're going to, again, spend time on spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are exactly that. They're spiritual gifts. They're gifts given by God after you were born. Natural abilities are abilities started in the womb, started at birth. They're abilities. Gifts are given. You haven't earned them. They're given to you. They are interwoven and they work together. We'll talk about how they work together. But there's a uniqueness in these particular things. So I've heard many people say, well, I'm not gifted with abilities like others. And I'm just going to stay right here. That's not true. You are. All of you. Children, teenagers here. You are. Even when you're in school, in In preschool, you have abilities. You're gifted. God has given you abilities that you're growing and shaping you with those abilities. I came across, so I thought I'd look this up to see if this true was accurate. I want to make sure we're 100% on. Studies have revealed the average person possesses 500 to 700 different skills and abilities. I have no idea how I'm going to figure out how many of these I have. 500 to 700, the average, the average person. If you're above average, you're going to be above that. The average person, 500 to 700 different skills and abilities. Man, you are untapped resource, aren't we? Your brain can store 100 trillion facts. Computers eat your heart out. 100 trillion facts. Your mind can handle 15,000 decisions a second. <laughs> I could just, some of your glasses are steaming up. Your nose can smell up to 10,000 different odors. My wife, hers is 15,000. Your touch can detect an item. One to one twenty-five thousandths of an inch thick. Your receptors of touch. Your tongue can taste one part per two million parts of water. They can taste one particle per two million parts of water, your tongue. We have way more than we understand when it comes to abilities. All Our abilities come from God. Secondly, every ability can be used to bring glory to him. Mm -mm -mm. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Eating and drinking, you think that's the most barbaric, humanistic thing we can do? Whether you eat or drink, it's saying whatever you do, Every ability can be used to give God glory. So give him glory with your abilities. Let him be glorified with your abilities. Here are some Bible examples of people's abilities that they used to glorify. They made it to the Bible. They're in the canon of Scripture. Here are some of the abilities that they used for God's glory. Artistic ability, architectural ability. These are all seen in the Bible. Administrating, baking, Boat making, candy making, debating, designing, embalming, embroidering, engraving, farming, fishing, gardening, leading, 
managing, masonry, making music, making weapons, needlework, painting, planting, philosophizing, machine ability, inventing, carpentry, sailing, selling, being a soldier, tailoring, teaching, writing literature, poetry, goes on. We get the impression here? Abilities. Here's the point. Every ability was used for the glory of God. Hallelujah. God has placed in this cornerstone church, he has placed in our church opportunity where your special abilities can make a difference. So I go back to that point here. Every ability can be used for God's glory. Every ability used for his glory. It's really up to you. It's up to me. Start stepping in and find a place. God gives some people the ability to make a lot of money. (laughs) You're kind of wishing that was you, right? Moses told the Israelites, Deuteronomy 8, 18, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. So people who produce wealth, many and I know there are those there who some of them give 50%. Not the, forget the tithe, returning of the tithe. They give 50% because they can. Laternal, 90% is yours, Lord. I'll live off the 10 for me and my family. Now, we know some of them could do quite well living off the 10, but they don't have to. Well, they do in obedience to God, but nobody in the land is forcing them to do that. What they've done, they've given their ability to serve God. All your abilities come from God. Every ability can be used for God's glory. Number three, what I'm able to do, God wants me to do. No one else can play your role because they were not shaped like you. Only you. Only me. Nobody can do my role. Neither yours. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13. God has equipped you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Grab the first part. God has equipped you with everything good for doing his will. And then the prayer, may he work in us what is pleasing back to him. Your abilities were not given just to make a living. Yes, you need to make a living and do the best. But your abilities were not meant to stop there. God gave you those abilities to minister to others. I shared with my sod group when I get up in the morning, almost every morning, I have a prayer from Isaiah 6. It's Lord, here am I, don't look any further. Use me today. Let me make a difference to that person I go and buy my sausage dog from. Let me make a difference to the person at the checkout line. Let me make a difference to the person I'll be on the phone. God, hear my, send me today. I want to do your will. I don't just want to do my job. I want to do your will today. And so whoever it is, and, and family too, whoever it is, God, make, help me, use me. Hear my, don't look any further. You've given me abilities and whatever you've given me, I believe it's enough, more than enough. God never makes just enough. You know that? You know that? He always makes more than enough. He always makes abundantly beyond. 
And he's made abundantly beyond more than what's required for me to be able to do what needs to be done in somebody's life that day. And so 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful servants of God's grace in its various forms. I make it part of my goal as, as a person, as a pastor, tell everyone who comes to Cornerstone, whatever you're good at, do it for the body. I try to tell everybody that. I'm telling you that this morning, of course. But I just, whatever you do, do for the body. Whatever you do, do for the body of Christ. It starts here and flows out. Whatever you do, get involved. Do it for the body. Uh, Ecclesiastes 3.11, one of my favorite scriptures. Ecclesiastes 3.11, I quoted it last week, mentioned it again this week. God has planted eternity in the human heart. At the end of yours and my life, we will stand, not together. Lori and I won't even stand together. My kids won't stand with me. I won't stand with parents. You will stand individually. You will stand before God. And he will evaluate from the abilities he gave you, because he gave you a lot, what you use them for. We will all stand before him. And it's called the honor's reward. You'll be honored and rewarded according to, did you use what he gave you or not? Now you say, well, I'm really busy. I'm not able to do anything because I'm just focused on my family. And let me say, great. And to your family, thank you. But that's not what he's talking about. You see, that's a given. Okay, you shouldn't have to be applauded for that. Okay, that's your family. It's your responsibility and obligation. No, he's talking about it flows beyond your family. So I have those, you know, I stop because I have to spend these next few years with my family. No, serve your family. But that's not what he's saying. You will be commended because you served others. Your family serves you too, doesn't it? Your family serves you as well. But when you serve others, it's a selfless serving. So serve them. And so Romans 14, 12. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Every single person. Man, woman, and child. Nobody's going to stand next to you when you must give an account for your abilities before God. I think about the implication of that. Well, one day God will compare how much time and energy I spent on myself compared to how much time and energy I spent on someone else. Mm, that's humbling. And at that point, all the excuses of I was too busy, I had my own goals, I wasn't feeling well, I was too busy at work, I had young children, I had a headache, um, I was fearful, uh, my marriage isn't going well, I, you know, all that, I was sick, okay, I'm too old. It doesn't work. That moment, it doesn't, that doesn't work. You were created, saved, and called to live a life of service. We are fully alive when we're helping others. Let me show you scripture. Jesus used this scripture five times. Mark 8, Matthew 10, Matthew 16, Luke 9, Luke 17. All of them say this. Here it is. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Did you note this? So important with this. Jesus said it five times. Five times he said it. Mark 8, Matthew 10, Matthew 16, Luke 9, Luke 17. Five times Jesus kept saying this. He kept saying, now if Jesus is saying it over and over again, I better lean into what he's saying here. What did he say? Let's do it again. Whoever wants to save their life, in other words, if you want to consume your life, you're going to lose it. Mm. But whoever loses your life for him, 
your life will get saved. Oh, that might be the worth the whole time being here together just now for that one. So important. After all, all of us give our lives. We give our lives for something. We all do. Every person in this world give our lives for something. There are people who are giving their lives for their career. There are people who are giving their lives for sports. There are people who are giving their lives for their hobby. They give their lives to live on the golf course. They give their life, you know, to go to the movie theater, to watch the play, PlayStation. They give their lives for all these different things. They're giving their life for fame. They're giving their lives for wealth to get more and to get more. And to, everybody gives their life for something. The one thing that lasts, though, is ministry to others. It's the only thing that lasts. But every person gives their life for something. God wants to use you to make a difference in this world. He wants to work through you. What matters, here's a, here's a quotation I came across. What matters is not the duration of your life, but the donation of it. Hmm. Not how long you lived, but how you lived. I thank God my mother is turning 97, and, and we're her chief caregivers in just a couple of months. But it's not that that matters. It's how she gave her life. And that's what matters in our lives. I, I, I was thinking of excuses because there's always excuses. And I've, I've got my list too. The excuses why I can't. But then I began to look at the Bible. <laughs> and the excuses kind of start to fall apart. Abraham was old. Jacob was insecure. Leah was ugly. Joseph was abused. Moses had a stuttering problem. Gideon was poor. Samson, codependent. Rahab, immoral. David had an affair and a ton of family problems. Elijah was suicidal. Jeremiah was depressed. Jonah was reluctant. Naomi was a widow. John the Baptist was eccentric, to say the least. Peter was impulsive and had an anger problem. Martha worried too much. Samaritan woman, too many failed marriages. Zacchaeus, unpopular. Thomas, doubts. Paul, not good health. Timothy was fearful. Does that about cover everybody? <laughs> right? This is a bunch of misfits. And God used every one of them for his kingdom. He uses each one of us too if we just stop excusing ourselves. Amen? Thank you, Colin, or whoever said amen over here. Thank you. Amen. Amen. God has a great plan. Father in heaven, Lord, help us not to have these excuses. God, we've been made to serve. Help us to serve with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind. God, you gave us a heart, a passion, things that stir us. And Lord, you gave us abilities, all of us, way more than we use. Not to consume them on ourselves, but to serve and to minister to others. So this day, God, we say yes. We step out of the excuse box, the penalty box, the place that says, I'm not able to, I won't do it. There's someone else 
no matter how young we are. God, I'm praying for those who are five, six, seven who might be hearing this. God, I pray for those who are in their 80s and 90s. Oh, Lord, and everyone between. God, you've given us breath. You still have service to do. God, help us to do it for your kingdom, we pray, in doing life together. In Jesus' name, amen. I trust that's your prayer. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.